the book of Job. Wow. Like, I am, I am completely blown away by this book. It is, it is fascinating. It is, the reason, it, it, um, it's not the last book of the Old Testament. We did that one last week. Next week, we're moving into the New Testament. Woo! Yeah. But Job, I had to save for last because, not because it's the best book in the Bible. I know I say that every book that I, that I preach, but it is, it is definitely unique. It is strange. It is fascinating. There is so much in Job, it, you need to meditate on it. Now, I know the issue whenever you, maybe you picked up your Bible and you began reading Job and you're like, oh my gosh, where's my Prozac? You're just like, this is, what is going on with God and why is it so depressing? Look, here's the problem with human nature. We tend to gravitate and focus on the negative. One of the things that we will discover today, yes, there are some negative things in Job, but a majority of the book is extremely positive and powerful and moving. And it is a masterpiece. Uh, scholars say that it is the oldest written scriptures that we have. I tend to believe that. Um, some scholars argue whether Job was a real person or not. It really doesn't matter. So if you're really struggling with the material and you would rather him be a fairy tale, that's okay. But I'm telling you, it is powerful, and we just need to get it into our heads. I believe that he was a real person because we have real locations. We have real people. It seems to be historical in nature, yet it is 100% poetry. It falls into the category of wisdom literature. So if you read this, if you meditate on it, you will become wise. It's a lot like Proverbs and Ecclesiastes and the Song of Songs. It falls into that genre. In fact, Job was, I, I, I don't, we, I, this is, some people think this and I agree. Job was meant to be a play. It was meant to be acted out. And I, I think this is what they did to entertain themselves in the desert night. Because there was no TV. They didn't have Netflix. And so I, I believe that they used this, this story just to, to bring awe and wonder into their children. And it's old, folks. It is so ancient. Okay, let's just say that Job, can we just go there, everybody, whether you like it or not? Can we just entertain the thought that Job was a real person yes. for the sake of the, the story today? All right, let's say that he was a real person. I believe that he was. We think, scholars think, that he could have been around the time of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. There's reference to one of his friends being a, 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 the grandson or the son of Esau. So we think that he is that old, like at the time of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. We, there, there's even speculation that he was around when Joseph got hauled off into Egypt, and he might have been in Egypt as well. Here's the thing. He's not a, we don't think that he's a Jew. There's debate on that too. But quite possibly, he's not even Jewish. Let's, let's just read a little bit and maybe I'll give you an idea. Uh, Job chapter 1. That's not Job. That's Romans.
in the land of Uz, there lived a man whose name was Job. Once upon a time, this man was blameless and upright, and he feared God, and he shunned evil. And that's true. He had seven sons, three daughters. He owned 7,000 sheep, 3,000 camels, 500 yoke of oxen, 500 donkeys, and he had a large number of servants. He was the greatest man among all the people in the East. So he's probably, they think that he's somewhere, we don't know where Uz is. It's kind of like the land of Oz. We're not quite sure where it is, but we think that it was probably in northern Arabia somewhere. Interesting thing about his kids. How many sons does he have? Seven. Seven. How many daughters does he have? Three. So we've been, I mean, if you've been following along, you know that there's something interesting about numbers in the Bible. There's seven days of creation. There are three members of the Holy Trinity. So sevens and threes and twelves and forties. This is another indication so seven is the it is the it is the number of completion and three is the number of perfection so Job has the perfect family and he has what seven thousand sheep and three thousand camels that represents his money so his finances are perfect the guy does his budget well. We're not, we don't know how exactly how many ha- animals he has, but the, the idea that's coming across is he, he, he is perfect in his finances. And then there's another set of, you know, five and five, and that's another ten. Seven plus three is ten. Seven plus three is ten. Five plus five is ten. So there are three sets of ten. Perfection, perfection, perfection. And he is the, he is the wealthiest, most respected man in all of the East. Everybody knows who he is. I, I just, it's fascinating to me. It's cool. All right, then, um, then it goes on to say that his sons were good kids and his daughters were good gals. They even liked each other. So you know that that's a perfect family when siblings actually get along. Right, John? Yeah. How many do you got? Eight. Eight. <laughs> Do you guys wrestle and fight? And, oh, it was fun, though. Yeah. You guys competitive? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. So they, yeah. But they all got along, and they all invited the sisters. They, they partied a lot. That's kind of, it's not just implied. It's pretty straightforward. But they all had these big, big parties, and Job would pray for his kids while they partied. And he would sacrifice for the forgiveness of his kids' sins. How many people intercede for your kids? Like, you know they're being naughty. You know they're doing wrong things. And you're just like, oh God, just please protect them. God, whatever grace you've given me, give it to them instead. God, I, I, you know my past. You know what I did when I was young. And you saved me, so save them. And so Job, being this righteous man who is blameless, he is sacrificing, he is interceding for his kids. We see the character of a godly man. Um, Everybody, I I see the affection that you have for your children in this church. It's very encouraging. And then I see the affection for outside of church walls, and it's like, oh my gosh, what is wrong with our culture? It's like parents 
are acting like they're kids nowadays. Is that right? Like they're more concerned about their own well-being than they are about their kids. Or they live vicariously through their kids. Now, here we go. One day, I'm reading at NIV. What version do you have? NLT, NIV, King James, New King. King. All right. How many people are like theologically minded? Do I have any armchair theologians in the room? We're going to have a lot of fun right now. (laughs) Then one day, the angels came to present themselves before the Lord, and Satan also came with them. The Lord said to Satan, where have you come from? Satan answered the Lord, from roaming through the earth, going back and forth with it. In the New Testament, describes Satan this way. He's he's roaming back and forth like a roaring lion, looking for somebody to devour, looking for somebody that's not paying attention, looking for somebody that's got distracted and got their eyes off the Lord. That's That's who the enemy of God wants to devour, and he does it. And then the Lord said to Satan, have you considered my servant Job? Now, as we've been going along with the Old Testament, there's not a whole lot of mention to, uh, to the person of Satan, of the devil. And this, uh, the, the definition of Satan is the one that accuses, the, the, the accuser. And so he is the one that, um, that, that brings accusations against God's people. Now, if you have another translation... Right out of the gate, it says one day, or on a day, your translation might say, the sons of God. Does anybody's Bible say the sons of God? Yeah, all right. Hang on, hang on to your seats. I don't believe it's angels. I think the, I think the NIV got it wrong. It's okay. God's still, it's still God's word. Is it a typo? Well, I don't know, but maybe it's true, maybe it's not. But it is, but we, we don't, here's the, the fascinating thing about Job. There are, there are so many words in Job that we don't even really know what the meaning of them are. Like this word right here, one day the angels or one day the sons of men, they came to present themselves. The Hebrew word present, it is only right here. It is only mentioned four times in the entire scriptures, and all of them are in the book of Job. So we, have, we don't know what present means, really. There's nothing to cross-reference it as. The language is so unique and so poetic, we don't understand its entirety. Uh, Lord Alfred Tennyson, the greatest, in my opinion, the greatest poet that ever lived says that Job is not only just the best piece of poetry in the ancient world, it's the best piece of poetry that has ever been written. Tennyson said that. Victor Hugo said the same thing. He says there is so much mystery and awe and wonder in Job that we need to be paying attention to it. And these are are the poets. These are our modern-day poets. They're fascinated by Job. And so there's so much language that it's so deep and rich and complex. Our translations lose a little bit of it, and I believe that it's not angels. The the, the actual term, um, the children of God, is used three times, maybe four times in scriptures. Once in Genesis 6. At the time right here, 
I have been taught, and maybe you've, you've heard this taught before, that the setting is in heaven, right? That it is a court scene, that they're, that they're coming in and they're presenting their cases before God, they're, they, or God is calling them into his court, into, his, into the heavenly places, and he's assigning his angels things to do. How is it going over here, Angel B, and how is it going over here? I don't think that that's what it is. So, again, this is, if you are a theologian, if you, if you care, dig into this, email me what you think. But I don't think they're angels, I think that they're us. I don't think in Genesis 6, when it talks about the sons of God I, that, that, that came down and they, that they saw the daughters of men and they saw that they were beautiful, I don't believe that that was angelic uh, romance between angels and people. Nor do I believe that it was uh, alien abductions either. Some people believe that. I believe that the sons of God was God's redemptive plan through the line of Seth. So these are the sons of God. And there's no, there's no indication that they, are, that they are in heaven. I believe that they are on earth. And I believe that the sons of God are connecting with God on earth. I don't think that the devil has access to God in heavenly places. Why would he? He got kicked out. He got cast down along with one-third of the angels. They don't belong there. They can't, they can't stand the presence of joy. They, they have fallen in sin. That there is no grace given to them to step into God's presence. The devil has not repented, so he does not belong in God's presence. And so I think that they're on earth. And I think the children of God are connecting with him. There is no interesting thing. There is, there is, this is why we think that it's old. There is no reference to the temple. There is no reference to uh, the priestly sacrifice. There is no reference to prophets. There's no reference to kings besides you know, pharaohs and things like that. That's why we think that it's old. It is so old. And who sacrifices? Job does. He is the priest of his house. It is the way that things ought to be. It is, it is a godly man. Or God, we will push it. The godly women, they ought to be the priests of their house, and they ought to be making sacrifices unto God. And we don't know if this is happening in a corporate setting. I think that maybe it did. I think my imagination will go there. I believe that the sons of Seth, the sons of God, the ones that hungered for righteousness, the ones that God had marked through that line, through that blood, to save humanity, to undo the blood that was shed when Cain killed Abel. Yeah. It was his answer. And Jesus is coming in out of this line. But the sons of God were, were, were going into his presence, just like you and I are right now. When we, when we enter into worship, we go into God's presence where there is, again, it is the concept of heaven on earth. And we go into God's presence and there is the fullness of joy. There's peace that transcends understanding. If you're not feeling it, when you come to church, we're doing something wrong. Just we're, we're working on it. Like leave your anxiety, not just at the door, but leave it on the campus when you pull up. The guilt, the bitterness, the rage, the anger. Just like when, when you pull up onto the campus, 
Just this, visualize that this is the house of peace. This is the day that the Lord has made. And you see peace when you walk up. And you see peace when you drive onto the campus. And when you see it, you just let go of all of that stuff. And you enter into God's presence where there is peace and fullness of joy. Amen. Your worship's going to be so much richer. And I believe that this is what the sons of God are doing. And guess who doesn't like it? Satan doesn't like it. His number one goal, his number one strategy against the sons of God. We'll just say the sons and daughters of God, okay? We'll be a little PC. But his number one strategy is to make sure at all costs that you do not present yourselves to the Lord, that you do not enter into God's presence. And I believe that that's what's going on. Because when you are in the presence of God, mind, body, soul, and spirit, Spirit, there's nothing that God can't do through you. And the, the, the devil's only strategy at this point is to accuse you, to make you feel guilty, to bring shame, guilt, and depression on you. So that's why when we read the book of Job, you should not get depressed. You should get excited. All right, let me uh, paraphrase most of this. Uh God, Satan, the accuser, comes in. He says, what have you been doing? He says, I've been going through your earth that you've given. I've got authority to do it because of, cause, cause blood was spilt, because Cain slew Abel. I have access to this place because the blood is dirty and you know it. I have the right to, to walk around like a roaring lion and eat unexpected people. It's my territory. It's my real estate, God, and you know it. Because you're a God of order and you've set up laws, you've set up rules. This is my land and you know it. And God doesn't argue with them. He just says, have you considered my servant Job? Have you considered this man? He is righteous in all the land. And, and, and Satan the accuser, the liar, the manipulator, the twister of thoughts and truths, says, does Job serve you for nothing? Why, why, does, God, why does Job love you? Why does he serve you? Why does he sacrifice? Why? It's because, God, you have given him everything. You have made his life perfect and you have put a hedge around him. It is your divine protection and that's the only reason why Job likes you. You take away his stuff and he's going to curse you to his face. Isn't that tough? Like, this is what, like, like you start reading this stuff, this is where you start grabbing for your Prozac. Because... And not only is it an amazing book, and it is like, like you re really, when you read it, you have to read it with your mind, and not only with your spirit. You have to understand it, even from a philosophical sense. So if you can't go there philosophically, if you have not, like if you don't care to ask the questions like, why do bad things happen to good people? Why is there evil in the world? Why do, why do orphans lose their parents? Why is there poverty and injustice? Like, if you, don't want to, if you don't want to go after those types of questions, like, I totally understand if you don't because you're just trying to make it. But if you are an inquisitive mind where you're like, God, why do bad things happen to good people? And you begin to read Job, you will, you will discover, well, 
the reason. You will at least get an answer. It might not be the answer that you're looking for, but you're going to get an answer. So, some critics that look at Job, and they skim it, and they read it, and they say, oh my gosh, the devil and God are going into this relationship with one another, and they're going to torture one of God's people? Because that's what it sounds like. Like, maybe for us Christian folks, we're like, we're used to it, and we're like, you know what, I'm just going to blindly accept the scripture. No, let me tell you something. The, the secular humanists down the street, they read Job and they read a sadistic God who does not love, but he finds delight in torturing his kids. That's how they read Job. And I'm telling you, it's through the wrong filter. There's, and again, I don't want to get into all the negative stuff, but like, all right, so does he serve you for nothing? You take away his toys and he's going to curse you to his face. And so God says, and I believe here on earth, communicates to Satan. He says, all right, take away his stuff. Take away the things that he loves. What do you love? I don't know. Maybe you love your toys. Maybe you love your house. Maybe you love your job. Maybe you love your kids. This is where it gets sadistic because... God allows Satan to take everything. He takes the 700, goat, the 700 sheep, the 300 camels. He takes away his perfect financial security in a flash. His houses are gone in a flash. His reputation, even though he's holding on to his integrity, he's still a good guy, but they, it's all gone. People don't respect him anymore because he doesn't have any money. And to make matters worse... God allows Satan to kill all of his children, all 10 of them. And you're thinking to yourself, how could this possibly be a good God? That doesn't make any sense. And, 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 and frankly, it doesn't. That's what this whole book is about. Because Job in his loss, in his grief, in his wailing. He, he, you know, he's, in, he's in ashes, he's weeping, and he's moaning. Where you and I, something like that happens. Everything's taken away from you, your money, your house, and your kids get killed. I don't know about you, but I, I would be like, God, you're a jerk, right? He doesn't curse God. This is amazing. This shows the character of an individual who is intimate with the Lord because he does not curse God. And then it gets worse. Satan says, oh, I've been roaming the earth again. I've been having a lot of fun. And God says, specifically, by the way, Yahweh, the Lord, the Lord says, who is the closest thing that we can get to Jesus right now, the Lord says, have you considered my servant Job? Same thing. Have you, you know what? Have you, he, he serves you for nothing. Like, you hurt his body. You take away his health. And he's going to curse you to his face. So they're making a bet. God and Satan, Yahweh and Satan are making a bet. And he says, no, let's give it a shot. But you, you, can, you, can, you can hurt him, but you can't kill him. And then he gets inflicted with boils and disease. And he's sitting there. He's, not only has he lost everything, but his body is falling apart so he has been attacked by the devil. Soul and body. 
soul and body. So there's two points of attack on his life. And he, again, does not curse God. He's lost everything, with the exception of his wife. Because his wife says, Job, you're still holding on to your integrity? Curse God and die. Many wonder, why did not God kill Job's wife? Why didn't God take Job's wife? It's because everything that Job loved was taken from him. Why are you holding on to your integrity? Why don't you, you idiot, why don't you curse God and die? You're so miserable to even look at. Die, why don't you? Can't stand this. I need to get remarried. Divorce isn't a good thing, so just die so I can move on with my life. Wow. <laughs> Isn't that crazy? Yeah. And in all these, God did, Job did not curse God. Wow. So through his soul, through his emotions, everything that was taken away from him, his, his, his material goods and his family, his perfect family, and if that happened to you, it would affect you emotionally, right? And then in addition to that, his body is attacked. So his integrity... What is, what is the, what's the def, definition of integrity? It's not the whole idea that you're a good person, but that you're an integral being. Mind, body, soul, and spirit. Can't quite figure out where the mind resides yet. I, know, I think it's somewhere in between the, the body and the soul. If you're, I don't know, sorry. Body, soul, and spirit. Let's just go there. Body, soul, and spirit. Guess what's next? It is an all-out attack on Job's spirit. Devil attacked his emotions. The devil attacks his body. And now the devil is going to attack his spirit, his connection with God, the truth that he knows about God, the indwelling presence of God. It's all going to be called into question by Job's friends. His friends get called into well, they hear the news and they show up and it really seems like they're amazing friends because they sit with Job for seven days and seven nights and they cry and they weep with him. If you know anybody that is going through difficult times, this is wisdom. So they, it seems like they're, they're coming at wisdom, but then they unleash this ungodly barrage of attacks towards Job. Why? It's because they're trying to figure out why is a bad thing happening to a good man? And they're doing exactly what we tried to do. They're trying to rationalize the situation. There has to be a reason. And so his three friends say to them, you know what, Job, you're going through this because you're, it's because of your kids. That's it. That's the reason. Your kids have sinned. Therefore, you are suffering for their sins. Job, this, there's something wrong here because... The just do not suffer, ever. That's what, because God's a good God, so therefore the just don't suffer, and the wicked don't prevail. So there's something wrong, Job. And so there's this banter back and forth, and Job has to defend himself. And although it seems depressing, I want, if you go after it, if you want to consume this book, if you want to meditate on it, which I highly suggest, I want you to look at the character of Job. Because, yeah, he's depressed. 
because everything's been taken away from him, and now his friends are stabbing him in the back repetitively about a good eight times. These are the ones that supposedly have his back, and now they're stabbing his back at the worst possible level because they're doing it on a spiritual level. So you thought that the, the taking away of his stuff and the kids and his health was bad. This is worse. Yet, Job does not give up. He continues to fight and he contends for his faith. Friend by friend, argument by argument. They go round after round after round. And each and every time, Job emerges victorious. And he says, well, let me tell you what he says. You've got to hear this. Job says to his friends, with friends like you, who needs enemies? <laughs> now you have to prove to be, now you have proved to be no help at all. You see something dreadful and you are afraid. What you know, I also know. I know everything that you're saying. And it just fall off the wagon here. I know I, I have, God has given me a reasonable mind. I understand all of your arguments. I probably wrote the book on all of the arguments. I understand exactly what you're saying. I am not inferior to you, so quit being condescending to me like you know the answers for my problem. I desire to speak to the God Almighty and argue my case with God. You, however, you smear me with lies. You are worthless physicians. Wow. Okay, if you... Look, we're all called to minister. We're all called to breathe life and hope into people. And like when somebody's hurting, we really want to, first of all, we want to understand why. We want to know how we can pray. We want to know what's wrong. If somebody's hurting, then something definitely should be wrong, right? And maybe something is wrong. I mean, let's be frank. We're not Job. Right? We're not righteous and blameless. Like, God is not looking down from heaven and saying, Have you considered my servant Joshua? There is none like him. He never messed up in college. He never stole anything. He never lied. Have you considered my servant Joshua? No. Like, like some of the stuff that's happened, the consequences, no, I deserve them. Right? But there's times when our integrity is being attacked on a spiritual level. Yeah. You smear me with lies. You're a worthless physician. So here's the point. So somebody is hurting in your life, family member, loved one. Um, don't try and... Don't say stuff like, you know what? It's God's will. I am, Maybe it is. But here's a point of wisdom keep your mouth shut that's not going to help them right somebody's crying and in grief and hurting look it's not your place to say you know what maybe this is god's will maybe you're in pain and loss because there's sin in your life <laughs> right that's not going to help there's a story of um, of, a, of, a, of a woman family laid the baby down in the crib and Everything's fine, perfect little family, white picket fence. They're excited about their new baby. They wake up in the morning, they go into the baby's room, and in the crib, the baby had died. Crib death. 
How do you get your head around that? There was no accident. There was no disease. There was no sickness. The baby just died. It doesn't make any sense. And so the pastor comes in and says, the reason why your baby dies is because you haven't been coming to church enough. And she had, a, she had a nervous breakdown. So do you see how powerful your words can be? I mean, maybe if it's true, keep your mouth shut, right? That's wisdom, just hold your tongue. And here's the thing about um, Job's friends. Like what they were saying was true or true-ish, like they were quoting scripture, they were saying, thus saith the Lord to you, Job. The Lord, the, the spirit of the Lord came to me in the night and he said that this is what is wrong. And Job had the integrity enough to say, no, it's not. You guys are wrong. I know just as much as you do. I have a relationship with the Lord and I have enough integrity, mind, body, and soul, and spirit to know that what you're saying is wrong. I can discern. He has a spirit of discernment. So he goes toe-to-toe with his seemingly religious friends who come up with all kinds of religious answers and spiritual answers as to what the problem is, and they're all wrong. To make matters worse, like those guys all get proven wrong. Like Job actually reasons with them and proves to them that they're all wrong. Job says, no, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to argue my case before God. You just wait and see. I, am, I, ha, I have been justified. And, and God even has proclaimed that I am a righteous man. So this doesn't make sense. And I have not had justice. But I am going to get into God's presence again. And I will ask him. And then the young guy comes in. The young guy is even worse than the old guys. And you know that little... Um, the young guy basically says... The young guy says, I have heard from the Lord. I know I'm not an old guy. I know I am not, I am not, I don't have years of wisdom, but I know God better than you, Job, and I know what truth is, and he spoke to me in the spirit. And the problem is, is you. You're the problem. You have sin in your life. And I see it. I'm the only, even though I'm young, I'm the only one that can actually see through the veil. And Job's response, okay, you know you have that little emoji on your phone with the, with the face with the eyes that go up, the roll up into the corner? Oh. So just when Job thinks he's done, just when he thinks that he has spiritually overcome his so-called friends, his, his poor physicians that are there supposedly to help him, he's got to deal with that young guy that thinks that he knows everything. And he basically blows him off. We're going to have to come back to Job. All right. Eliehu is that young dude. All right. Here's what I got to get into. <coughs> Chapter 9. This is who the man of Job is. Job replies. This is one of his replies to his um, so-called friends. Indeed, I know that this is true, but how can mere mortals prove their innocence before God? They wished to dispute with him. They could not answer him. 
one time of out of a thousand. His wisdom is profound. His power is vast. Who has resisted him and come to understand the mountains without their knowing it? And he overturns them in anger. He shakes the earth from its place and he makes the pillars tremble. He speaks to the sun and it does not shine. He's not a Jew, by the way. He speaks to the sun and it does not shine. He alone stretches out the heaven and he, thread, he treads on the waves of the sea. He is the maker of the bear, which is Orion, constellations, and the Pleiades, and the constellations, okay, get this, and the constellations of the south. Job knows that there's constellations that he can't see in Australia. They look at different constellations than we do. It's the southern hemisphere. Their water circles the drain in the opposite way ours does. Why is this important? Because Job has got divine revelation of how the world actually works. He sees things that no one else sees. He actually understands that the world is round before the Greeks. Sorry, George. He under, if, you, if you have a scientific mind, read it and, and read the parts about light. He understood the, principi- the, the, the principles and the laws of light before Einstein did. It's fascinating, folks. It will blow your head off if you actually read the positive stuff and skim the negative stuff. He performs wonders that cannot be fathomed, miracles that cannot be counted. When he passes me, I cannot see him. When he goes, I cannot perceive him. If he snatches away, who can stop him? Who can say to him, what are you doing? God does not restrain his anger. Even the cords of Rahab cowered at his feet. Rahab is a monster. It's a sea monster probably. It's not the Rahab that we know. How can they dispute with him? My days are swifter than a runner. They fly away without a glimpse. They skim as papyrus. Okay, get this. This is uh, verse 33. So Job understands how amazing God is. Job understands the wrath of God, that by his anger, mountains are leveled. By a thought, things are either created or destroyed in God's realm. And that he even, Job, even though that Job is righteous, he understands that he's a sinful man. He understands that there is a divide between him and Elohim. The God, the Elohim is the, the cosmic God. Yahweh is the more personal God. He understands that he's got to get with Elohim. He understands that even though he's a good guy, there's brokenness and sin deep down inside of him. This This is why Job is not depressed, even though it seems like it. Job 9, 33, 35. If only there was someone to mediate between us, someone to bring us together, someone to remove God's rod from me, so that his terror would frighten me no more, then I would speak up without fear of him. But as it stands with me, I cannot because Jesus hasn't come and died on the cross yet for my sins. 
But he has vision of it. He knows it's going to happen. And here's the difference between where you're at and where Job's at, is that we get to speak up without fear in God's presence. We, have, we can enter into God's presence, whether here on earth or in heaven, with confidence. Because he has called us. He has called us. His, not only his children, but his friends and his co-heirs. Sixteen, verse 19. Chapter 16, verse 19. Even now, my witness is in heaven. My advocate is on high. My intercessor is my friend. Does this sound like somebody that's depressed? Or is somebody, does it sound like somebody that has confidence in God? My intercessor is my friend, and my eyes pour out tears to God. On behalf of a man, he pleads with God, and as one pleads for a friend. Chapter 19, verse 25. I know that my Redeemer lives. What? Right? I know my Redeemer lives. He has no idea who Jesus is. He doesn't have any scripture to reference. He has no prophetic words. He's some pagan rich guy out in the desert. How does he know about God? Wow. How does he even know about a Redeemer? And then his Redeemer is living. I know my Redeemer lives, and that in the end he will stand on the earth. After, okay, get this. After my skin has been destroyed, right? After I'm dead and gone, yet in my flesh I will see God. Oh. What? So, look, Job does not need a prescription for Prozac. In the midst of his pain, in the midst of his suffering, God has given him dimensions of revelation that no one has had before. Like, you're going through a hard time, press on into God's presence. Like, sometimes, like, there is, like, God wants to show you stuff in your pain. Like, he just whispers to us in everyday life. But when we are in pain, he is shouting to us. And when you're in pain, going through difficult times, now is the time to pay attention. Now is the time to seek revelation. Because you're going to get stuff like this. All right, now i got to do this. John, why don't you come bring the band up to the front. Okay, so he's been talking to four clowns that have been attacking him spiritually that have been questioning him, and he has been questioning them. They've been going back and forth. And then finally, chapter 38, the Lord speaks to Job. And Job finally gets his opportunity to present his complaint to God. Right? How many people, are, how many people want to do this? Like, bad things have happened to, be, to good people. Like, you're a decent person. Like, how many people say this? Even, like, non-church folks say this. I'm a good person. Deep down inside, I'm a good person. I like to do good things. I like warm fuzzies. But when I die, I have got some questions for God. Have you ever ever had those types of thoughts? When I die, I'm going to ask God why this happened. It will be my moment to get right 
to get my pound of flesh with God. Right? So Job's the same way. He's a lot like us in this sense. Job says, when I get my chance to stand before the Almighty, I'm going to ask him why my ten kids had to die. I'm going to ask him why bad things happen to good people. I'm going to ask him to explain to me the issue of the problem of pain or the issue of the problem of evil, that theological concept that Job wrestled with probably... 4,000 years ago, Job wrestled with this idea that they're wrestling with in the universities right now. And guess what? There is no answer. But here's God's response. The Lord spoke to Job out of a storm, out of a whirlwind. He said, who is this that obscures my plans without words, without knowledge? Okay, ready? I'll, I'll, I'll push the text a little bit for everybody here. Brace yourself like a man. Brace yourself like a woman. Because I'm going to continue to unleash revelation. I am going to continue to unleash power and beauty and intimacy. God never answers the question of the problem of pain, the problem of evil. He just reveals himself at a higher degree. More glory, more power, more intimacy. That's God's response. He gives no answer. Isn't that, are you a little bit bummed out that there is no answer to the problem of evil, the problem of pain? There's no answer except for God exposing his, his glory. He says, can you bind the chains of the Pleiades? Uh, again, this is a word that, that the chains, is, it's, it's unique in that it's only in Job but it comes across as chains. It comes across as beauty, like a daisy chain. It comes across as a complexity. And guess what? The Pleiades isn't a cluster of stars. It's a cluster of galaxies. And God gives that level of revelation to Job. Can you loosen Orion's belt? Can you bring forth the constellations in their season or lead the bear? That's Ursa Major with its clubs. Do you know the laws of heaven? Can you set up upon God's dominion over the earth? The Lord said to Job, then the one who contends with the Almighty, correct him. Let those who accuse God answer. And Job answers. He's got his chance to say, God, why do bad things happen to me? Here's Job, Job's response. It's chapter 40. Verse 4, I am unworthy. How can I reply to you? I put my hand over my mouth. <laughs> so he's seeing the beauty and the power and the majesty and the intimacy of the Lord. He doesn't really care about his past offenses. He doesn't care that he gets justice because he's captivated, captivated by the beauty of God. That is good enough for him. He's putting his hand over his mouth because he has no words to say. Brace yourself like a man. Brace yourself like a woman. And I will question you. And you shall answer me. You who discredit my justice. Would you, come in, would you condemn me to justify yourself? 
Would you, would you dare question me so that you can be right, so that you can get your pound of flesh? Do you really need an answer? Do you need to belittle me? Do you need to make me out to be a monster when I'm not? I'm the creator of all things. Hey, we don't have to take an offering. So that's good. The box is out in the back if you missed your chance. Job's friends get rebuked by God, his so-called spiritual friends. He says, I am angry with you and your two friends because they have not spoken the truth about me. Even though they're very spiritual words, it wasn't truth. As my servant Job has. After Job, get this, after Job had prayed for his friends, the Lord restored his fortunes and he gave him back twice as much as he had before. And his brothers and sisters came out of the woodwork too, by the way. Where have they been in this whole story? Now, Job gets restored not because he was right, not because he was fighting, not because he dared to question God and gets restored because he actually prays for his friends and he asks for their forgiveness. Uh, That's kind of how I read it. After Job had prayed for his friends, then the Lord restored his fortunes. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I pray that you would give us the strength of our soul, our emotions, our desires, our will. God, whatever our affections are tied to, whether it's objects, whether it's material things, whether it's even relationships, God, if those things have our affections, if those things have our soul more than you do, God, we we just repent of that. In the name of Jesus, you're more important than that. So you have our soul, you have our affections, and you have our bodies, God. May we love you with our whole body, mind, body, and soul. And God, I pray right now for our spirits that we will be able to discern what is right, what is wrong, what is from you, what is not from you. More importantly, God, give us the ability just to tap into your glory and your presence. We pray this in your name, Lord Jesus. Amen.